Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Hello, I'm live. It's um, got this in the wrong ear, actually. It feels a bit wrong. It feels better in that ear. Um, seven o'clock, and I've got some questions here. If you've got any questions for me um, about cosmetic surgery, plastic surgery, please ask them here. Um, I'll be very happy to answer them. Uh, got to be honest, I haven't got many questions, so I've uh, been looking forward to seeing if you've got any questions live. Uh, or if you want to join in and ask me live, that's always an option. Um, if you want to do a split screen thing. Um, so very tummy tuck heavy questions. Um, we got a guy who has sent a photo uh, of his abdomen and he has drawn a, fo- uh, drawn a line on it and said, uh, I want my scarf, my tummy tuck to be here. And if it's going to be here, then I'll come for a consultation. So I said I'd, uh, I'd talk about this on, on the live. Um, so I don't know if he, uh, if you're here or if you can watch this later, but, uh, it's interesting the position of the tummy tuck scar because everybody wants their tummy tuck scar to be as low as possible. Everyone is worried that the tummy tuck scar is going to be high and people are going to see it and they want it as low as possible. And we always want to put the scar as low as possible because we don't want it to be high. We don't want it to be, um, visible when you're in underwear or bikini or what have you but the there's some conflicting uh, forces at play and um if you actually look at the the abdomen and, and look at your abdomen and the, the, this photo is actually quite good i you haven't got permission to show it but it's um because you can see the laxity of the skin where the laxity of the skin is and the laxity of the skin is always uh, most in the lower abdomen and uh, I'm um, uh, with trying to take out as much of the lax of the of the uh, of the soft skin uh, as possible. But you can see there's a sort of line where the laxity of the skin stops and below the, the line that the skin isn't very lax. That's in the mons area. That's another question I'm going to get to in a minute about the mons. Um, and. Uh, uh, in the sort of pubic area where the pubic hair is um, and in this particular chap his, that skin is not is not particularly lax and so where he's put the line which is actually quite low uh, you'd be taking out s- some skin that wasn't wasn't the really lax skin which you're trying to get at so his, his you'll be take you know the, you're limited to how much skin you can take out because you at the end of the day you've got to close this wound you've got to stitch it back together again so if you start taking out skin below the laxity below you know into the mons area you're not going to be taking out as much of that s- s- saggy skin that he's got uh, in the bit beneath the um, beneath the belly button so that's um, number one you really want to start your incision where the lax skin is. Um, and the lax skin normally starts just above the, the, the mons. Um, number two is if you can try and visit, envisage it, um, we've got to get Sarah into theatres and get some videos of how you do a tummy tuck and what happens with a tummy tuck. But certainly with a full tummy tuck, you are um, 
Oh, we've got some questions coming in. This is good. Oh, this is good. Can I like... Oh, God. Oh, I, don't... I can go live. Oh, <laughs> um, oh, I've got some questions. Good. Certainly with a full tummy tuck, you go, you go to the bit above... You go to above the belly button. Because with a mini tummy tuck, it's a bit different. With a mini tummy tuck, you can um, go as low as you want because the the, the upper upper border of the incision um, is variable. But with a full tummy tuck, you have to go above the belly button. Your top incision has to be above the belly button. And paradoxically, the less skin you have, the higher the lower incision has to be. I don't know if that makes sense, because if your top incision has to be above the belly button, that's a fixed point, the belly button, and you're limited to how much skin you've got. If you haven't got a huge amount of spare skin, you can't make a really, really low incision because then you'd be taking a massive amount of skin out and you wouldn't be able to close it. So that actually makes your lower incision a bit higher. I'll probably need a whiteboard for this to explain this, but so uh, you you can't actually make this the lower scar really really low because you're limited to the upper scar. You could take out less skin and make an inverted T-shaped scar, but then we're getting into stuff that's a bit difficult to explain. But you could you could potentially make your scar a bit lower and then not take all the skin all the way up to the belly button. You could you could leave some of the skin around the belly button and then make a little T, a little vertical extension, which would be the place where the belly button was, that little, where you're cutting out the belly button. I'm not sure if I've made that clear, but anyway, uh, you are limited. Oh God, I should have thought this through. You are limited basically as to where you can put that lower incision, but we're always trying to make that lower incision as low as possible, but you are limited. Uh, first of all, where the skin laxity is, and secondly, by the fact that you've got to make your upper incision at the top. And so, um, and pull it down. So, but we all are, we always are trying to make the skin, the lower incision as low as possible. We do, are, you know, we are aware that you want a low, in, low incision, but at the same time, we're also aware you want to have the skin really tight. So that's the number one thing. We've got to address that skin. And I've got to say the scar settles really, really well and often settles. To, so it's difficult to see. So the number one thing is to get that skin laxity tightened. You know, if you want you, and you don't want to jeopardize the positioning of your scar, um, in terms of getting the skin less tight, because the whole point of the surgery is to get the skin tight. So obviously you get no scar at all. That's brilliant. Wow, no scar, but no skin tightening. So the point of the scar, the point of the surgery is to tighten the skin. Uh, so that's the number one thing. Look, I've got some questions running away with me here going on. Right, I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Uh, right, we've got Mariana. What do you think about buckle fat removal? I'm 37 and thinking of having it done. Um, Mariana, that's probably Kuram is better for that. We, we talked about doing one with Kuram. Um, Kuram uh, Khan is working in the clinic um, who would be better talking to you about that. In general terms, um, in the face, uh, because I'm pretty much breast, breast and body my my thing, but in the face, um, in terms of fat... Uh, I mean, you'd have to see what your problem was and what you were trying to address. But if you feel that you've got too much fat there, then it can be r removed. But we're moving a little bit away in, from the face, from removing fat to actually putting fat back. Um, back in the day, we removed a lot more fat from the face uh, in terms of aesthetic facial surgery, anti-aging, if you like, surgery to um, to try and... Uh, improve the aesthetics of the face we removed fat 
but these days we're moving away from that because often with aging you get fat atrophy, um, as in less less fat, uh, and hollowing out. You worry about looking more of a hollowed out appearance. And certainly if you look at a child um, who's sort of the ultimate anti-aging look, you know, their faces are very full and very taut. The skin is taut, the skin is tense and they're full, their cheeks are full. Um, and so often we're putting fat back. So uh, we'd have to have a look at what, you know, it's difficult to say what, what, we, we, with a, you know, what your face looks like and what your concern is. But as a general principle, removing fat from the face, we're moving away more from that actually to weirdly to actually putting fat back in the face. To, um, so sometimes instead of hollowing out an area, we can maybe fill an area to give a similar sort of effect. Uh, that's answered that sort of ish. Um, if you have fibroids, but the other thing I'd say is if you've been to the clinic for another thing, you can always come back for a different thing without paying for a consultation. So basically, if you come to the clinic and you have a consultation for a tummy tuck and then you want to get your eyelids done or your ears done or your breasts or your face, you can always come back and we don't charge you for the consultation for the second thing. Once you're a patient of ours, we don't. So basically, you only ever pay for the first consultation. You don't pay for any others. Um, if you have fibroids, can you have a tummy tuck? Yes, you can, love angle. Uh, you definitely can. Fibroids are an intra-abdominal thing, obviously a uterine thing. The only thing is that if you're going to have a surgery for your fibroids, you well, you could still have surgery, no problem at all. But if you are, if surgery is imminent, I would say have, look, have surgery for your fibroids first, because then we would cut out that if, it's, if they're going to use a sort of like a hysterectomy incision for the fibroids, we would um, we would use we would cut out that incision when we did our tummy tuck. So that's the only thing. But there's absolutely no problem if if, if you're not having surgery. Oh God. If you're not having surgery, then oh, then um, that doesn't matter. Um, sorry, I've put something up, so I'm just going to have to post high. Does that work? Right, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, so, yeah, tell me if... Uh, uh, so, does your mummy makeover... Hold on a minute. Does mummy makeovers, is it safe in the age of group 50 plus? Does your mummy making include... So mummy makeover questions coming in. So mummy makeovers, is it safe in the age of 50 and over? 50 and over, that's young. Love angle. Um, people often ask about age and surgery. And the thing that I say is it really matters on how you are, your fitness. With the days of saying surgery in a certain age are sort of gone really now um, for any surgery. That includes, you know, I used to do a lot of breast reconstruction in people who are like in their 70s. And it really comes down to fitness. Um, from a medical point of view, it comes down to fitness. So if someone's young, but not very fit and on lots of medication and, you know, not, not, not particularly fit for, a, for an anaesthetic, you'd probably say, look, you're not safe. But if someone's older and, and are fit, then you would be safe. Um, so age in itself is not a criteria. And the other thing is we talk to people about the benefits and the risks so they can balance up within themselves. So it's, it's up to you as well whether you think it's worth it. But uh, certainly over 50 is nothing, love angle. Um, absolutely nothing and absolutely no problem and to be honest you know often that's the sort of age or you know in the older person who wants a, the sort of mummy makeover with a you know body b uh, breast and abdominal reshaping does your mummy makeover include butt lift mummy makeover is a bit of a sort of um can i like these no i can't is it oh god i can pin it no sorry 
Um, but mummy makeover is a bit of a sort of catch-all term. It's not really a thing. You know, you wouldn't put someone on the operating list for a mummy makeover. You wouldn't write mummy makeover because what does that mean? So mummy makeover tends to mean a breast and an abdominal thing. It tends to be obviously a, it, the term is used for uh, body recontouring following pregnancy, following having children. Uh, it's also following weight loss. Um, so you don't have to have had children, although it's called mummy, um, because you can do breast and body things on men who've, uh, who've lost a lot of weight or uh, women who've lost a lot of weight who aren't mummies. But uh, that's what the term is, due, is, is used for. But it's basically a body recontouring and it, you, it's a combination pr of procedures. It can include butt lift. Butt lift's a bit controversial at the moment in terms of... Uh, but augmentate a bit, but lifts like what do you mean by but lift? But augmentation, certainly with fat grafting, is a bit frowned on at the moment because there's been a lot of problems, particularly in America and overseas, with complications. We never really did it much here. We don't really do it at the clinic. So, if uh, at my clinic, we don't really do butt lifts, buttock augmentations. But um, there's no reason why a mummy makeover couldn't Im Im involve a butt lift. The only problem with the combining a butt lift with another type of surgery, particularly if you're doing a surgery for the whoops for the surgery for the abdomen or the breast is a positioning. One thing you've got to think of is on the operating table, a mummy makeover is quite a big op because you're doing breast and tummy, so it's quite a long procedure. If you're going to do something to the buttocks, if you're going to do something around the back, you have to turn the patient during the surgery, which makes it even longer operation. So I would you know, I think, oh God, that's quite a big op then if you're going to do a sort of tummy, breast and a buttock thing. Um, but there's no reason why it can't. Um, there's no sort of reason against that, but I'll think about it. How can you minimize bad scarring in a brown skin tummy tuck? Ah, you have asked. That's one of my questions. Okay. Um, the, there's no pro First of all, the brown skin thing, there's no uh, problem what type of skin you've got in terms of having surgery. So um, I think you might be uh, referring to worries in terms of keloid scarring. Keloid scarring is more associated. That's ugly raised lumpy scarring which is an abnormal type of scarring which can occur in certain t skin types and it can occur in certain positions so the skin types is usually afro-caribbean skin uh, the positions is areas like the sternum the breastbone the shoulder the earlobes um, those are areas that can get keloid scarring so afro-caribbean uh, skin types can be predisposed to uh, keloid scarring but i wouldn't particularly be particularly worried about um, when you say brown skin, um, it, brown skin is not any worse scarring than any other type of skin. So I wouldn't be worried just in terms of your skin, because skin people with white skin can scar badly and be very red and obvious. People with brown skin can scar very well or bad. You know, bad. I made the point. It's not. It's not worse in brown or white or whatever. Um, but the scarring in general is obvious to start off with and it starts off quite red and quite overly colored so uh, quite overly brown and um again in a is that a mini tummy tuck oh i thought my question was a mini tummy but you've just written tummy tuck there okay but anyway it starts off quite red and quite obvious um and um and then it goes overly coloured and then it fades. And uh, how you can minimise bad scarring, number one is you look, look at your history. Have you got any other scars? So certainly if you've got a history of keloid scarring, a history of bad scarring in yourself or in your family, then I would be thinking, oh, God, that you're worried about keloid scarring or what have you. There's not a lot we can do to prevent keloid scarring if you've got a history of bad scarring. There's not a lot we can do to make your scarring better when we do the surgery. 
So it would really just be a question of counselling you as to whether it's worth having the surgery or not. We'd say to you, look, you've got, you've got, you, you know, you've got this other scar on its keloid. You've got a high risk of getting your keloid scar in this scar. And so you've got to wonder whether it's worth having the scarring. There's nothing we can do. If there was something we could do with the surgery to minimise keloid scarring, we'd just do that for everybody. So there's not a lot we can do for the, in the surgery to minimise scarring. But there are things you can do or we can do to minimise scarring in general. So um, we give a robust skin closure. And these are things we do to everybody. Robust skin closure, it's a multi-layered closure. There's several layers of sutures in order to make sure the wound is not under any tension. Because if there's any wound breakdown, if there's any wound tension... Uh, if the wound doesn't heal up properly, if you, if you get um, infection or anything like that, then you have a risk of getting hypertrophic scarring. It's not quite as bad as keloid, but it's a raised, ugly type of scarring. So we try and minimise the tension on the wound when we do the surgery. Um, we would, oh, I would always say to you, you've got to be careful in the sun. You don't want to get your sun on the scars when you're... Um, when your scars are fresh and active, which means when they're overly coloured. So as I said, they start being overly coloured, so browner than your normal skin, and then they fade. Uh, and they often fade to go a bit lighter than your normal skin, so you often get like a white line. But uh, certainly when they're browner than your normal skin, when they're active, you've got to avoid getting the sun on them. Um, so if you get the sun on them, they pick up the sun, they pick up the pigment, and they get, end up with a pigment, pigmented scar, so you end up with a brown scar which doesn't look good so you've got to be careful in the sun and then in general terms you've got to be careful with scars so with your skin in terms of not smoking uh keeping well hydrated um just generally keeping out of the sun and there are things you can do if you get a lumpy scar or a raised scar there are things you can do you can do things like silicone ointment silicone gels a lot of people talk about silicone ointment and gels in general terms for scars for all scars but really the evidence is for lumpy scars so if it does start to go red and lumpy there are things we can do so we're not really preventing it. So to prevent it, there's not a great deal you can do except for keeping out the sun and keeping healthy, avoiding tension. So not going to back to the gym too soon, not going back to work too soon. Um, but if it does start to go lumpy, there are things you can do and we can do in terms of the gel. And then there are other things like steroid injections and what have you, if it's starting to go lumpy and, and look like you're going to develop a bad scar. Um, but most of the things to prevent a bad scar, we do already. Here we go. Hypertrophic scars are associated with brown skin people, I was told. Um, well, yeah, keloid scars are associated with more like black skin. It's more like Afro-Caribbean uh, is uh, keloid scars. Uh, and that is absolutely true. Um, uh, but if you haven't got a... Um, if, so if you're Asian skin and you haven't got any history of hypertrophic scars, I wouldn't be particularly worried about it, although you have to be aware of it. Um, good one, Hazza. Nice one. Uh, Danielle, do you do liposuction for a buffalo hump fatty slash fatty deposit on the back of the neck? Yes, we do do that, uh, Danielle. Um, you've got to think about if there's a reason for that. So often that sort of fatty uh, uh, deposition is often due to things like steroid treatment. So if you're on any medication or particularly steroids, which is causing that, then you would, I would be saying to you, look, do you, is there, well, can you stop it, basically? Because uh, if you carry on the, the, the treatment, you can get the recurrence of the problem. So first of all, you've got to think, is there a reason for fatty deposition, particularly in that area? But in general terms, liposuction is really good for, um, for fatty deposits that don't shift. And buffalo hump is one of those things. So some people get it at the back of the neck, just sort of down, just below the nape of the neck. 
uh, so-called buffalo hump. So if, there's a, if you're uh, so if you're not overweight, so the first thing I'd say to you is get your weight right. For, this is for liposuction in general. Get your weight right first. You're happy with your weight. If you're not happy with your weight and you want to lose weight, lose weight first. It might be that you'll lose weight and you'll still have the the the, the localized area of fat, and that's when liposuction really comes in. But the first thing is to uh, lose weight first. On that, Hazza's back at me. Do you use 7 proline for the top layer suture on a mini tummy tuck? Hazza, look at that. You're getting a bit technical there. So, um, I think you're th- so back onto the bad scarring. No, is the answer. I don't think anyone would use a 7 proline for the top layer suture on a mini tummy tuck, Hazza. So, a 7 proline uh, is a very, very fine stitch, Hazza. Um, don't know where you got that from. 7 proline is something that would be used for um, something very, very fine. Nail bed repair or something like that. Really, really fine. You'd need magnification to use that suture, probably. You'd need to use um, magnifying glass, you know, loop for magnifying glasses. It's a very, very fine suture, and it's a, because it's so fine, it would break very easily, and you would nowhere near use it on a tummy tuck. The way the sutures go is that they started... I don't think they do CC and guy. I don't think they use a 7 proline. They might use proline. In fact, I don't think they do use proline. But anyway, they might use proline, but it wouldn't be 7 The way that sutures made, they first of all started by making sutures going 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. That's sort of like, you know, one suture, and then a 2 is a bit heavier than a 1, and then a 3 is a bit heavier than a than a 2, and all that sort of stuff. But then they got really good at making sutures, and they thought, look, we made really fine sutures. So they made finer suture than a 1, so that made it an O. So they were, oh, okay, this is an O suture, it's really good, it's even finer than a 1. But then they've made, they got even better at them and they made them even finer. So they thought, oh, crikey, we've got what, the O, what can we call it less than an O? So then you get 2O, 3O, 4O, 5O. That's how suture, sutures are named. So, um, suture, so 2O, 3O, 4O, 3O is finer than a 2O. So 4O, 5O, 6O, 7O, 7O is a very, very fine suture. So I... They might use a proline, but I don't know if they do, but they might. Um, but it wouldn't be a 7.0. It would probably be 3.0, maybe a 4.0. But anyway, we're getting too technical there. The, I think the point you're making is proline uh, in terms of getting not getting hypertrophic scars. I think that's the I think that's a nubbin of your of your of your issue. So, yeah, some people sort of talk about, OK, you're 100 percent sure it's 7.0. There you go. Well, then it's 7.0, 7.0 then. Um, so some people talk about um, using non So if you have someone who has a keloid scar, and you do, you first thing you do is try and avoid operating on it, but if you do have to operate on it, you do tend to use non-dissolvable sutures like proline, uh, because pro- uh, dissolvable sutures do cause some inflammation. So you would tend to use a non-dissolvable suture like a proline in someone with a keloid scar to minimize the inflammation in that scar. And so you could say, well, therefore... Um, <laughs> You could say, well, therefore, I'm going to use a um, I'm going to use a non-dissolvable suture to minimise the inflammation. That sounds really good because I don't want to get inflammation. I don't want to get lumpy scars, um, which is a good idea. The problem is, and the particular problem with something like a tummy tuck is that you are closing things quite tight, and you do want the sutures to be in there for quite a long time because if you take the sutures out too soon, then you worry the wound will open up, and then that will predispose to pre- uh, hypertrophic scarring in itself. And obviously with a non-dissolvable suture, like, for instance, a proline, you have to take it out if it's in the skin layer. If it's up to the skin, you have to take it out, a non-dissolvable suture, whereas a dissolvable suture you, you leave in. So you could use a non-dissolvable suture in the top layer. As you've said earlier on one of your comments, there will be a couple of other layers which you use dissolvable sutures, 
and uh, that would be a good thing because it would cause less inflammation because it's a non-dissolvable suture but in my view it's a bad thing because you're taking that stitch out you probably have to leave it in I don't know a couple of weeks I guess at least uh, because you want that wound to heal personally I'd rather use a dissolvable suture um, which would stay for longer make sure the wound stays together although I would accept that it does cause more inflammation and therefore you could say well that would be a worse scar because it's causing more inflammation I would say it causes a better scar because it's keeping the strength of the wound closed for longer so that's my view and I think you know you'll find people have got different views about that sort of thing I know both Guy and Cece I've worked with both of them um, I thought they used dissolvable sutures in the skin for a tummy tuck, but I haven't really been in with a tummy tuck with them for many years, so I might be completely wrong on that. But um, uh, that's my view about tummy tuck closure and skin. I use dissolvable sutures uh, all the way, every layer, the, all, all the layers, including the skin layer, uh, because I want that that uh, that um, that strength of that wound for longer. I wouldn't use a non-dissolvable suture. Like, for instance, if you're doing anything on the face, because the skin heals really well, really quickly on the face and you want the absolute best scar possible, you pretty much always, or I pretty much always use non-dissolvable sutures like proline. Even on the face, I wouldn't use a 7.0, to be honest with you. I'd use a 6.0 maybe for a, for, a, for a small mole or something, but I wouldn't even use a 7.0 on the face. But they're very fine sutures. You can predictably take them out at five or seven days, get a really nice scar, and you know that's going to heal well because the face heals really well. It's often not under a great deal of tension. The tummy is a different uh, kettle of fish, and I would tend to use dissolvable sutures. Pros and cons has a pros and cons, um, and you'll find that lots of people do things different ways. doesn't mean anyone's doing it wrong. They're all doing it what they perceive to be the right way of doing it, but it's just like, you know, the problem with plastic surgery, a lot of it is just what we think is, in our view, is the best. And I think the best thing to do when you're looking at surgery has a is to get the surgeon you're comfortable with. As long as they're not doing something way off and wacky, you know, if they're doing something they can back up and say, I'm doing it like this because of this, you know, I'm using a non-dissolvable suture because I don't want that inflammation. Well, that sounds reasonable, that's fine, fine, do it, you know, as long as they back up what they're doing. And I, I try and back up what I'm doing um, too. Um, so, um, uh, Hazard likes me, that's good. Hazard, good. I thought we had a bit of a ruckus there over the 7-0, but uh, managed to... Managed to get through it. Love angle. I'm going to have breast enlargement, tummy liposuction, and but how long I, will I be off work for? So if you're just having tummy liposuction, so not a tummy tuck, uh, um, is you know you're putting yourself in there, love angle, with a tummy and butt. You know both ends, both well, not both ends, but sort of both sides, and certainly with a butt. Depends on how much liposuction you're going to have, um, and also depends on what you do. Obviously, I should say what the recommended what the recommended time off from work yeah I mean, it depends on what you do love angle um and it's always variable how people heal what i norm would normally say for that sort of thing i'd say the first week you're going to be out of it so forget it the first week breasts are going to be swollen um you're going to be buttered and bruised your tummy's going to be bruised your buttocks are going to be bruised swelling all over the place second week you're going to be feeling better you're going to be starting getting into stuff the second week you're going to be pot pottering around the house if you can work from home you might be able to do some work from home on the computer and what have you um prob again get this from your surgeon is the, is the advice disclaimer should have a disclaimer get this from your surgeon but uh, in general terms um after the second week things like driving you know you might be able to drive after the second week short distances uh, you have to check with your insurance company the car insurance just they haven't got a rule but if they haven't got a rule maybe after a couple of weeks you'll be able to get uh, driving and uh, so then you might be able to start getting back into work i don't know if you can do light duties and stuff you always you usually give you a sick note say like light duties um 
so uh, after a couple of weeks you'll be maybe getting back into light duties but nothing too heavy if you do anything like lifting or anything like that it's like four to six weeks for um, for that sort of thing so yeah after a couple of weeks you'll be starting to get back into it four to six weeks be- before doing anything too heavy uh, but yeah check with your ins- uh, check with your insurance guy uh, insurance company <laughs> right uh that was good listen love angle and hazard you are brilliant you know you've got loads in there fantastic um follow up we've had a cut with this we had this a while ago and we had it again this this week someone who's had surgery in poland or somewhere i don't know if it was poland um but uh somewhere and then they what the contacting us for the follow-up because they have to go don't want to go back to i, I, should, I shouldn't this i shouldn't uh, besmirch poland i don't know where it was turkey was it i can't remember where it was overseas just say surgery overseas and then want to see us for the follow-up unfortunately it doesn't really work we haven't really got a system and that's not just us it's to be honest the uk we haven't really you'll find that i don't think many surgeons will take you on for the follow-up only if you haven't had the surgery with the follow-up we have with the surgeon because most surgeons certainly plastic surgeons for sure um we often give you free follow-up when we do the surgery we do free we don't charge for the follow-up we make the money on the surgery and we don't really have money, you know, we don't have a sort of package for follow-up where you can just pay a certain amount of money and be followed up by us. So you can pay for a consultation, but that's not really the same. You want someone to sort of look after you um, on an ongoing basis. So that doesn't really work, unfortunately. And so I guess this is one of the things you've got to think about when you go abroad for surgery. You've got to make sure they've got robust follow-up in place in terms of seeing someone in the UK. You don't want to go back to the, wherever you had the surgery every time. They offer, well, I say they offer, I think they should have places in the UK that you can see, well, ideally the surgeon, but I think a lot of times you don't see the surgeon. But, but yeah, this is one of the problems with um, going overseas uh, for, for surgery that you might have to, certainly if you need further surgery, you have to go back overseas. And we, we haven't really got a good, robust system where you can get treated here. Uh, you obviously have emergency treatment, you go to the NHS. But uh, for sort of if you're not worried, if you're worried about the scar or you've got a bit of a lump or a bit of a superficial infection or a bit of swelling or something, you can't really access a plastic surgeon privately um, if you haven't had the surgery with them or at least not with us put it, or me. Put it like that. But um, so sorry about that. Um, love angles back in. No stopping you, love angle. You're straight in. Do you do three surgery all at once? I think, yes, you can do them all at once, love angle. But I would be like. I would be a bit like, ooh, it's quite a lot, especially the buttock. Because, as I say, breast and tummy is quite common to have all at the same time because you're lying on the operating table and they're both there. Uh, if you factor in the buttock, you might say, well, it's just a bit of liposuction in the buttock. It's not a big deal. Just, you know, just get on with it. But it actually is quite a big deal because you've got to turn. You're going to turn on your side, you're going to turn on the front. And turning people when they're under anaesthetic is a big deal. So you could, uh, in principle, have them all done at once. But I would say the buttock would be a bit of a spanner in the works there because it's quite a big deal to do the buttock at the time of the um, at the, the time of the breast and the tummy. Uh, something to discuss. I guess we are discussing it. There we go. And I would I would say look, it's easier if if you know if you said look, I hate the buttock. The buttock's the main thing, and it's really hate it, and I want to have it done and all that. It, well, it might be nice to do the buttock at a different time. Is is the other thing, you know. Mons, mons, we got patients who are asking about the mons. The mons is the bit of the pubic hair, the top of your pubic hair. Again, tummy tuck related, this is. Um, and people wanting their mons to be addressed. It's quite good when people ask if the mons is going to be addressed. This is more for people who've lost 
Uh, oh, Love Angle. <laughs> See you soon. Love Angle, it won't be me. I'm not seeing new patients anymore. I'm not seeing new patients anymore. Yeah. Um, so I'm just sort of running the clinic now. But I've got two surgeons at the clinic and, and I work with them. So you, you'll probably be Kuram Khan, who's my colleague who works at the clinic. But um, yeah, I know. Uh, the problem is, Love Angle, I was doing all the surgery. Uh, I set the clinic up five years ago. I was doing all the surgery, um, getting busier and busier, and it was going really well. And one of the big things I've been um, focusing on over the last five years since I had my own clinic is the service. So my family are over from hotels, and I'm really interested in service and giving good service to patients. But what I found is as I got busier, it was more difficult to give a good service to patients. If you're really busy, and you see this, people who are really, really busy, I see these people who do these clinics who are just absolutely jam-packed, they're not actually giving a very good service because they've only got like two minutes to talk to people, and they, yeah, that's fine, I'll move to the next one. And I didn't want to be like that. I thought, that's, not, that's actually, the busier you are, you're giving a worse service. So that's something I thought, hold on a minute, I can't, you know, I'm getting busier now, my clinic's getting rammed, I can't have a chat to people, you know, I can't have a, you know, conversation because my clinic's really busy, and that's not right. So I thought, so that, well, what I've done is I've got other surgeons doing the surgery because I can't do all the surgery and to give a really good service to patients. So what I've done is I've said, look, we've got other surgeons doing the surgery, we've got systems, we've got processes, we, we are focused on giving a really good service to our patients. And that's what I'm doing. I'm putting in place all the systems, all the processes, engagement with patients, talking to patients. I think that's really important so they know what to expect before, during, after. Like this person who's contacted me who says I want to have follow-up after having surgery abroad. I feel like saying, did the place abroad not tell you that you'd have to go back there for you know follow-ups? Before they have the surgery, because if you start telling people after they have the surgery, that's not right, is it? You've got to tell people before. But you need to have systems in place to make sure people are looked after. And that's what I'm doing. I'm working with the two surgeons we've got at the clinic. We're getting busy again. So, again, we need more surgeons because that's the only way I can make a scalable business which provides an excellent service. I can't do it and have me do the surgery, all of the surgery. I can't have a big business treating a lot of people if I'm doing all the surgery. I will end up not giving a very good service to people. I've seen it happen with other people. I don't want to happen it. I don't want it to happen to me. I don't want to be running around and not giving good service to patients and being really busy in my clinics. I want to be having time to do this sort of stuff and talk to people because otherwise Tuesday night I'd be in theatre. See, I'd be in theatre now. I wouldn't be able to do this. So I'm here. Um, so that's where I am. Uh, ooh, what was your Mons? Yeah, Mons. Sorry, I love anger. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, I want you to do the surgery. I'm like, yeah, well, I can't. I can't. Anyway, um, but it's the it's about the looking after care. As long as you, there's lots of good surgeons out there. Someone earlier would talk about Guy Stern, CC Cat, fantastic surgeons, both in Birmingham. Fan, I know them both. Great. There's lots of very good surgeons out there. That's the thing. There's lots of very good, fully trained plastic surgeons. There's lots of not so fully trained ones. Those are two very good fully trained plastic surgeons. There's lots of good surgeons out there. And as long as you have surgery with a fully trained plastic surgeon, the quality of the surgery, we're all got to a certain level of training. Once you've got your FRCS plus, once you've got a consultant job, you're at a certain level of service of training. So there's a lot of people who can deliver the surgical result. What I'm trying to do is give more than the surgical result. I'm trying to give the service before 
during and after your surgery. That's what I'm saying. Look, we need to have proper fully trained plastic surgeons that can deliver the surgical result of which there are, say, maybe not lots, but there's, there are in the, you know, in the UK. And that's something I've got to be careful about. That's why it's you know, difficult getting surgeons to work at the clinic because there's a lot of surgeons who want to work at my clinic. But I'm saying, look, I only want fully trained UK plastic surgeons that I know, colleagues that I get on with. So um, all that sort of thing. But that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to deliver more. That's what I'm trying to do. Anyway, so the Mons. Back to the Mons. Uh, <laughs> so the Mons. Yeah, uh, it's interesting when people ask about the Mons. When they often when people have a tummy tuck, they don't realise that the Mons is quite prominent. Sometimes they do and say, "What are you about the Mons? What are you about that?" Because they don't realise it. Because the tummy tuck, the overhang of the tummy is sort of like hiding it. And you lift up the tummy, and there's a bit of a sort of bulge there. That's sort of the top of the pubic hair. Uh, pubic hair, a bit of a bulge there. And you can do stuff about it at the time of the tummy tuck. You can do liposuction, you can excise or wedge and things like that. But you're limited to what you can do to that area. So this is only really for people who've got a problem in that area before they have the tummy tuck. Um, many people don't have a problem there. But if you do have a problem there, particularly if you lost a lot of weight, maybe some fatty tissue still there, um, you can do some liposuction, you can take a wedge out. But you've got to be careful how much uh, work you do going south the mons would be sort of below the scar. So the more you mobilise, the more you cut out, then the more you mobilise below the scar, the more that scar is going to ride up. So basically when you're doing a tummy tuck, you cut out that big wedge of tissue and you mobilise all the way up, all the way up to the, to the, um, to the to, well not, not up there, to the rib cage, because you want the top scar to be pulled down to the bottom scar. You want the bottom scar to be static so that the, 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 the resulting scar that you're left with is where the lowest scar the, the lower incision is again we're going back to the low the, the lowness of a tummy tuck incision and if you start guddling about south by taking the mons releasing some tissue out of the mons you can mobilize that lower skin around the pubic hair area and make that pubic hair rise up um, you can get clitoral lift and make the pubic area rise up so you've got to be a bit careful about it it sounds good to oh, get get rid of that be a bit careful. Also, there's a lot of lymphatics in there, so it's risk of infections, risk of seroma, risk of swelling. So it's not as easy as it sounds, but it is good to address it and talk about it before having surgery because we need to explain why we can't get that much of the mons away if there's a very big prominent mons, and you might want to have a tummy tuck and then later on address the mons. But again, it's about being informed before having your surgery. So that's quite a niche question there. I don't know how many people that would be relevant to, but it was relevant to someone. Um, so I hope, I don't know if they're here. Anyway, um, might be here, why not? My mini tummy tuck health skin. Flipping heck. Been through it today with Love Angle and Hazza. Um, well done, you two. I'll tell you, gold star. I don't know who to give it to, the gold star. I'm going to give you joint gold star on that one, both of you. Um, excellent bit of bit of interaction there uh has that has a had me on the ropes with the 70 pro lean but you know what can you do um right so i'm going to sign off now dinner's in the oven hope you has a thank you <laughs> good luck with this good luck with the seven love angle's got more questions love angles back in has what are you going to do come on come on love angle let's have it what you got what you got love angle give me your best shot come on Standing by. Is your weight right, Love Angle? I'll leave it to next week. Oh, all right. Oh, okay, do it now if you want. I'll tell you what, Love Angle, next week. I see, that's the other thing. I'm back on Facebook, I think, oh, this week. 
on Friday, I think, because I've been banned for a month. I used to do this on Facebook. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you're Instagram people or Facebook people. I used to do this every week on Facebook. I've been doing it for a couple of years now on Facebook. But 30 days, or probably about 25 or 28 days ago, I was banned from Facebook for 30 days because I put a, a nipple, uh, a video with a nipple on it. Um, so they banned me for 30 days. And that's going to come to an end, I think, on at the end of this week. So next Tuesday I'll be on Facebook Live, I think, all being well, as long as I haven't done, don't do something terrible and get banned again. But um, it will probably be Facebook Live next week, Love Angle. So I don't know if you join me on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash the Styano Clinic, same as the Instagram, instagram.com slash the Styano Clinic, facebook.com slash the Styano Clinic. So I'll be over there. And you're more than welcome to ask me next week. You're more than welcome to ask me now. Well, the dinner is being kept warm, so I'll be happy to talk about anything you want. But if you want to do it next week, we can do it next week. No problem at all. And Hazza, you come back at me next week as well with your 7.0 Proline. Come straight back at me if you want. Um, but, uh, yeah, okay, well, shall I go and have my dinner then? Gonna... And thank you both, Love England, Hazza, and everyone else. Not, I'm not going to, you know, not Jade, Thomas, you know, Debbie, Signature, Signature Braces, Yalen, you know, not, I'm not going to, Kazamoon, you've all played your part. So, um, yeah. So I will see you all seven o'clock next week. And I, oh, wait a minute. It's half term next week, isn't it? It's half term. We haven't actually, oh, always last minute on half term, to be honest with you. And we haven't done anything. We might do something. Oh, God. Love Angle, email me. Info at stayanoplasticsurgery.co.uk. So it might be the week. I don't know if I'll be doing it next week because it's half term. I haven't really thought this through. Um, but anyway, I'll do it week after, if not next week. And uh, thank you very much for all your questions. And I will be seeing you next week slash the week after for more of the same. And uh, thanks for the interaction. I'm going to end this live video. Good night. Have a nice dinner. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.